Welcome to PT Shop Talk, where two guys talk about therapy, sports, music, and everything in between. Remember, this podcast represents the opinions of the host and their guests to the show. Content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is a unique snowflake, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. We make every effort to ensure that the information we share is accurate, and we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of error. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or basis of expert witness testimony. Now, here's your hosts, Nick Doling and Casey Hansen. Welcome, episode four of PT Shop Talk. I'm Casey Hansen, and with me today... Always present, always exciting, Nick Doling. Good morning, Casey. How are you? Good, good. Life is good. Sounds like some more snow, as always, but you get oh, used yeah? to that, I guess. How much? Are you guys supposed to get snow up there? How much? Um, I think it's mostly wind, blizzard-like conditions, um, so I don't know what that means, but. I didn't really have a number, but I've noticed that as time goes on, just like our normal news, I feel like the weather has become very sensational. Um, Yeah. Our our last snowstorm, probably, you know, they they came out six to eight inches. It was going to be 10 hours long. Then it went to like eight to 12 inches. It was going to be over a day. And then it turned out to be three inches over the course of a few hours. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's a bad deal because you kind of boy cries wolf. Uh, you know, well, it's going to snow. They say six inches. It's probably going to be two. Uh, the problem was when, you know, this as well as anybody, when you have a clinic and they're telling you 12 inches of snow, your patients call, they want to cancel before they even see what's happening. Yeah. And you have to have that conversation of, let's just see how the weather looks i want you to be safe but you know how it goes it might be two inches and just like any normal day so i think that's Mm -hmm. that's part of my frustration with like i said the sensationalism of the weather lately too i feel like the last five years it's been bad i'm i'm in full agreement with you on that i've had that idea for quite a few years now um same boat as you for you know, a long time, about nine years uh, running the practice and uh, feeling as though, you know, and, and obviously that creates an internal bias. So I'll acknowledge that, but, um, you know, feeling as though weather, like anything else can be sensationalized sometimes, you know, for betterment of people, I get it where they want to make sure people are safe, but at the same time um, on slow news cycles, it's certainly around the Midwest. It seems to be the big, the big, uh, big news stories. When they come we're, we're lucky down here i think we're only in a wind chill advisory yeah i think we're supposed to get down to not so much today but i think tomorrow what 25 below or something again so Ooh, can't wait cold. i'm driving up there i'll be driving up there thursday night my brother my younger brother gets married this weekend so well, that's exciting is that back home Yep, we're going. We're gonna. We're gonna go all the way to Carrington Thursday night, so we can be present and prepared on Friday. Uh, get ready to rock and roll for that. Uh, but yeah, we've looked at that forecast again, just like anybody else around here. You're looking ahead at the weather, make sure that you can time things appropriately, and um, 
yeah, it looks like it's just going to be really cool. Yeah. So where does one have a wedding like dance in Carrington? What's, what's the venue? Um, I believe the reception is at the armory. <laughs> okay. which is what, what they booked. Uh, yeah. And historically there's a um, renovated uh, golf course there on the north side of town, which has uh, played host to a good number of receptions like that. They do a good job there too. So, but uh, the options are fairly limited. Yeah, I just think my hometown, it's like the community center. Yeah. Yeah, not too far off. <laughs> you get a hot beef plate and do a little dancing. And... Yeah. yeah, our kids are excited. Um, should be a good time. Uh, I don't know. I got to pick his brain sometime and figure out why they, why they uh, set a January wedding in North Dakota. Yeah, that would be a story for another day. Like top <laughs> top five worst times and places to get married. Yeah, it is an interesting decision. Uh, at least you don't have to worry about like overheating, probably. No, no, and the, and the I like the he's in his late thirties as well already, and um, we'll say they've got, they've taken a less traditional route. Um, so <laughs> the coat, the dress code itself for the wedding is um, more to my liking as well. Um, black black cowboy boots, uh, jeans. Uh, get to wear. Uh, do have to wear a suit coat though. But I didn't have to go out and buy one. He gave me the thumbs up on one of my pre-existing. Um, it's like nearly black. It's like super super dark gray pewter somewhere around there. So I mean, really exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, riveting, riveting yeah. cast material. But yeah, yeah, it's. Uh... We just got an invite to a wedding too, and my wife was like excited. It's like, oh, we haven't been to a wedding forever. We've gotten to that age now where everything is stopped. Luckily, weddings, funerals, all that stuff is we're kind of in that dead period. So it was like, oh, a wedding. Like actually got excited. Where there was a period, you know, mid late twenties where it was like, oh, can yeah. we just not go to a wedding like one weekend? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It cycles of life, man. I know. Yeah, Do where it takes us next. Yeah, it'll be our kids getting married and then everybody we know dying. So, <laughs> oh, hooray. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, I guess, the next step. So, yeah. That mortality yeah, starts creeping in. Yeah, right. You, you don't have the yeah. highs if you don't have the lows. So, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had some interesting news. I found out uh, via Christmas, I am now a lord. My wife's sister's boyfriend bought me a one square foot parcel of land in Scotland. Really? Yeah. So that's technically, uh, that's how they do things over there, right? Like you become the Lord of the land and you're responsible for protecting that land. That's old school stuff. Uh, it's a conservation oh. effort. So they have forest in the middle of nowhere and they don't want oh. to come in and buy it and tear it down. So the thought process is, well, if we split this thing up between like a million people, uh-huh. You can never be able to sell it. Like nobody's going to want to go around and try to find out who owns what little plots of land. Convoluted, but definitely hearts in the right spot. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, I'm no fool. Uh, I know how nationalism works. Uh, someday the country just goes, we're taking your square foot back. But... Uh, yeah, eminent domain or something like that. Yeah, it, it, it's fun for the time being. Yeah, well... a nice little plaque. 
I, I believe I can go online and look at my little plot, see how it's looking. Do you have fives? Yeah. Like, I send a guy out there to see it. Yeah. He goes out there like <laughs> once a week and mows it for me. Gosh. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's talking about a different era. Learned <laughs> about all that, but that's cool, man. Well, Lord Casey. It's yeah, it's about stuff. time I get some respect yeah. around here. So that was nice. You know, I don't use the doctor title very often. Um, really only when I teach. But yeah. now the I, Lord title, I need new business cards. So well, you've, you've earned it now. I mean, it's legit <laughs> right. too. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to have to change a lot of my, my stationery around the office. So, so people you just gave me, a, you give me an awesome idea for another top, another PT topic. It's just, maybe we just banter about one of these, one of these episodes, we can just banter about uh, the doctorate title. Like, how do we feel about that? How do we use it? Do we use it? Hold another one. So let's let's put that one in the uh, back pocket. Yeah. Spoiler alert: I'll probably use my Lord title more. Well, I mean, it's very distinctive. <laughs> you don't have many Lords around here. I mean, we got lots of doctors in America. Yeah, right. A lot of doctors, right? Yeah, but, I mean, you can be a doctor of anything now. Wow, Lord is Lord's impressive, man. Good for you, Casey. Yeah. I need to get some armor now. I think there's a lot of things involved with it. It might be, I don't do anything like to the minimum. Mm -hmm. So I need a kilt now, I assume. I have to learn the bagpipes. Uh, Yeah. But if I die, we talk about dying, I'm probably get like a cool Lord burial. You know, have people play the bagpipes. and I love the bagpipes at the funeral. I'll admit it. I mean, you're you amazing, amazing grace on the bagpipes, man. That's gonna tr- that's gonna trigger the tears, man. Yeah, there's definitely no uh, no more haunting instrument other than that like weird little electrical box where you like move your hand and it makes like that whistly noise. Oh, I, that I'm, instrument's I'm also on that. haunting. Um, you ever hear the Beach Boys like "Good Vibration"? Yeah, yeah, it's that little instrument yeah. that does that weird little like. Oh. I think I can kind of do the noise. Oh. You know, it does that little noise. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That instrument is also haunting. Don't hear that at all, but. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of the Beach Boys music, like, has secretly haunting. Like, <laughs> yeah, very, right. Very like on the surface, yeah. it's like, hey, let's go to the beach. Uh, and then underneath, it's like, I'm suffer from deep, dark depression and the world is it, collapsing yeah. on me. And very interesting films yeah yeah <laughs> definitely well cool um man any thoughts on how the nfl playoffs stacked out over the weekend oh i loved it it all panned out just like i wanted it to the eagles lost which was glorious uh i think the the patriots lost in just absolutely phenomenal fashion uh Mac Jones yeah. comes back down to earth a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which it's yeah. not fair to him, but people are already starting to go just, boy, you rolled in, replaced Brady right away. And you're like, ah, I don't think they're the same guy. Uh, and it's not fair to him to say he's going to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I, I don't know where you stand on Tom Brady, but um, I think we've talked about before though, like you just love excellence and that's a guy. Yeah, that, I do. Uh, yeah. Whether you like him or hate him, his 
ability to play at his age is phenomenal. And even well, when he was young, he was good. I mean, he never blew people away with his talent, but yeah, just the consistency, you know, one real injury his whole career. And well, I think he, you know, he, well, that, that case, Tom Brady is a great example of how the media can just pull your strings in all these different directions, you know, and early in his career, when they were, when they won those first three Super Bowls, I can remember um, many media outlets referring to him as the, you know, the ultimate game manager and he didn't get a lot of credit. You know, he was a system quarterback. It was all Bill Belichick. Yeah. And it was around that, that 2006, 2007 timeframe, really 07 when Randy Moss came into the picture and his numbers just exploded. Then all of a sudden, you know, he, he had the numbers to go with it. And I think around that, they came back for his injury and, and people love those stories, right? And you're right, please, so should that, you know, it's a, not a race to riches, but kind of an underdog. You're, you're overcoming something, right? You're not just handed something like you're saying with Mac Jones, here's the keys. And there's nothing compelling about that, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show or, or whether it's real world and you're following people like we do microscopically. But um, somewhere along that line, it was shortly after that, I think he became like the hated Brady, you know, with the flake gate and, and um, well, I guess even before that, the Pats were tagged with Spygate and, uh, you know, people like a villain too. They want to see that guy get toppled over. But at the same time, I mean, the, I, I don't know. I don't buy into the deflate gate stuff. He had a better game. Statistically, the, the fact of the matter is that thing got so overblown where if, you know, they were using this partially deflated balls apparently in the first half. And I believe that game with the Colts was, what the heck was it? It was like, 14 to six at halftime or 10 to six. And the Pats went on with the normal balls in the you know second half and beat them like 35 to six, you know, really routed them. So, I mean, it didn't, it didn't actually factor into the outcome of the game to begin with, but people just love it. They latch onto that stuff. They love tearing people down. And, uh, but I, I think Brady is the greatest of all time. No doubt that Philly game was, I mean, I feel bad for them. They were never really part of that one. They were just, no, yeah, that's kind of, that would have been the Vikings role, right? Like, yeah. Great. We, we punched our ticket and then we were right back out. Yeah. yeah I love seeing the 49ers beat the Cowboys. Uh, talk yeah. about villains. Uh, the mm-hmm. Cowboys still hold a villainous place in my heart, I guess. I, the early mm-hmm. 90s have forever ruined me for the Cowboys. So, root against them. So, that was good. Um, yeah. Chiefs look good. I mean, it, you know, it, it all panned out pretty well. I thought it was. An odd playoff week, though. Like, I, the NFL season's been phenomenal. It's probably one of the better NFL seasons as far as um, parity. Mm-hmm. Never, nobody ever standing out. And then you get to the playoffs, and there's most of them were non games, <laughs> you know, yeah. relatively not that exciting. So that was interesting. I mean, I guess the, Wait, the Bengals Raiders was a good game, but that got marred and mm-hmm. all the ref controversy. So. Yeah, I saw that. They pulled that crew. They're booted. I saw that last night. That crew's booted from the playoffs. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's, there's always a chance when you ref those wild card games, you're not going to go on anyways. So they, yeah, they made a uh, pretty, pretty easy case for themselves to be the team. Yeah. Jumped, so. And on that note, personally, I, I loathe the early whistles. I think, you know, they, 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 you know, kind of hide behind player safety and I can understand that to a certain degree, but good Lord, there's so many times where, you know, the, the whole subjectiveness of, of when somebody's uh, forward progress is stopped, 
you know, and, and when they choose to blow a whistle and, and all that stuff. It's just um, very subjective in a situation like that where it, you know, affects a scoring play. It's like, yeah, they should be held accountable too. You know, they, they do need, they're human. They're going to make errors, but they also need to be held accountable to that. Make sure they get it right. Yeah, sometimes I, and probably not so much the NFL, but sometimes I wish in college they would release, because they, they rank or score the reps after every game. It, it would always be interesting as a fan to see, like, hey, you know, I don't think that that referee crew did terrible. And, like, to actually publicly release their scores and be like, actually, you know, we looked at all the plays and they nailed it 95% of the time. Because mm-hmm. I think as a fan, it's very easy to get biased. And yeah. a lot of people don't understand the game, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes it'd be interesting. You know, you go through all this work to grade these refing crews, and then it's just like this quiet behind the doors thing. Talk about accountability, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think the inadvertent whistle probably didn't affect that play as much as <laughs> teams make it out to be. I don't, yeah. watching the replay, I, that's a touchdown probably either way. I don't think the defense is. Like, yeah, oh, they blew the whistle. We Thank goodness, because I would have gained, like, the three yards on them that I needed to get to make a play on the ball. Like, Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's a bad deal. Like, what so, if, right? Yep. In, yeah. in, the, in the days of uh, replay now, I don't know why you blow a whistle. <laughs> um, yeah. Something questionable. Especially, well, especially a scoring play. Yeah. You know, that's going to be automatically reviewed or potentially scoring play. And it's like turnovers, too. When they, when they blow something dead. And I, I, what, what drives me wild is like, you know, you follow this, this is just part of my own issue as a fan. I probably need to take a couple steps back still, but I think it was two years ago. They made a point of emphasis that, you know, these, these stories come out that the new point of emphasis will be that they're, they're not going to blow dead um, turnover plays because they're going to be reviewed anyways. Mm. Right. But then they get in these rate of play issues and, you know, advertising blocks and stuff like that that slow them down. But, I thought, I think that's genius because if it's going to be automatically reviewed, why don't you just let it play out and then you can get it right. Instead you have, you know, these issues like, like we had to start the season in Minnesota. Like what does the season start with? Like a butt fumble in, in uh, overtime in Cincinnati. It's like, was he down? Was he not? And it's so interesting that like, I don't know what they choose to overturn, what they don't still um, when they, when they call play dead and when they don't, I mean, it's all insanely subjective. So, yeah, I, I noticed that this year in college because I probably watch more college than I do NFL, but I felt like they were almost too long on the forward motion. A lot of games I was watching, it's like, man, this defense is just punching this poor guy all over the place, and they're just not blowing the whistle. It's like he's going back like two yards. They still haven't blown the whistle. So that was the other end of the spectrum too. Is like you said, so subjective. It was weird. Some of those yeah. refing games are like, man, they're just somebody's gonna get hurt if you don't blow a whistle eventually. But when do you yeah. stop? I mean, you see it every once in a while, you know, a guy busts out of the pile around the corner and gets another 10 yards, but yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose we should move on to our main topic of the day. Our let me get back to some therapy chat. Yeah. All right. So this week we're talking about how we prepared for our licensing board examination, the preparation that went into it, kind of how that third year played out for us to get us prepared. Uh, any tips or 
you know, pearls of wisdom that we'd pass on to anybody in that same situation. So that's kind of, that's our, that's our big topic for today. So, um, you want to, you want to take it away this time, Casey? You want to? Yeah, I, I can that? start off. Um, you know, for folks listening, probably especially younger therapists that probably get angry, like the time period when I graduated, you could take those boards any day of the week you wanted. <laughs> um, I feel bad now for students, PTs coming out, like knowing that, man, I got, I have this window. I have to take this test. If I don't pass these boards, I have to wait or four months or whatever and take it again. Uh, so for me, studying was pretty passive. Uh, you know, I felt like I had the good knowledge, good and bad of, I would say the education I got was that it was very board directed education. Like what we learned in school was what was going to be on the boards. I felt that was very strong. Um, and you can go back and forth and argue over, does that make you a good clinician or does it just make you good at passing your boards? Um, in every level of school, you can have that argument. Uh, I, parents talk about it all the time too, you know, with elementary, high school, you know, especially when the no kids left behind stuff became a big deal. Um you know, you just teach the requirements and don't make active learners. So coming out of school, I knew I could take the test. And if I absolutely bombed it, I would know kind of where to study and go back the next week, take it again. Uh, I think a lot of PTs, at least in my time period, you graduated with a job already. And it was kind of like, oh, you were interviewing while you were doing your last clinical. You knew you had a job. You just had to pass those boards. It was no big deal. Like I said, Take it once, don't pass it. Take it again, don't pass it. I think you could take it three or four times um, before they were like, yeah, you got to probably give it a year. Uh, so when I graduated, I had a job lined up. Uh, I was living with my wife, who was my fiance at the time. So I didn't really have anything going on. I knew when my job was coming. It was probably four weeks after I graduated, I had this job. So I, I was like, ah, I'm going to study for a week take the test, see where I'm at. That'd give me another two weeks. And I guess the caveat for me too, is I'm probably my strong suit in school was test taking. I'm not a test anxiety person. I trust my gut. If, if I, I know it or I don't, I guess has always been my theory. I don't sit and ruminate over a question typically, unless, unless you get down to a test and uh, question later on gives you some idea of like a wrong answer you had earlier, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have a lot of online stuff at that time. And I don't believe we took a practice test uh, in school. I know a lot of schools now they do the PEAT um, pre-test just to see where you're at kind of a requirement. A lot of schools now mm -hmm. I don't really do any of that stuff. I bought the big thick books. I had two different ones. Um, I don't, <sighs> probably test masters, maybe um, trying to think of who the company was. I, I did not keep score score builders, probably score builders. That sounds familiar. Um, I'm better trademark test masters. Cause that's probably not really a thing. Yeah. So I, I think the books had like two practice tests in the back. So I took a practice test, tried to find my deficits, went back. Yeah. study those areas you know there were certain things like acute care where it was definitely more like rote memorization of lab values things like that yeah those 
I never really bothered studying. Uh, again, you know it or you don't. So for those, I kind of wrote those lab values down on a cheat sheet. Got in my car a day of the test. Boom, I'm going to memorize these quick because they are going to be in and out. I knew there was no way I was going to memorize those values and keep them day to day. I just, that's just not how I operate. Um, if I'm going to be honest, I, I didn't think there was, there was value in them, but it seemed ridiculous to have to memorize them because mm -hmm. I've been in a hospital. Like if something's off, they give, they let you know, <laughs> you know yeah. I, I'm not doing lab values out on the field and having to know like where your sodium levels are. Um, so yeah, I, Reviewed then for about a week, got to the testing center and said you could do it whenever you wanted. So it just randomly showed up. One of my classmates happened to be there the same day I was there. Um, you know, it's like going into prison. They make you strip everything down. They give you like one, two inch number two pencil, like a scrap yeah. piece of paper. You know, the lady's like, I'm going to be watching you this whole time. Okay, lady. <laughs> Stop it. You're scaring me. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, my buddy's like, hey, we should get a beer after this. And I said, yeah. Right. Uh, and you had five hours, I believe, to take the test. That sounds a little, right. A little, little fuzzy. Again, being a good test taker and just either know it or you don't, fired through that sucker. I think I finished in a little under three hours. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'll nice. wait around, wait around for uh, the old drink with my buddy. Well, he took the whole five hours. So yeah. that was super good nap, car nap I had waiting for him. But um you know passed it uh i was lucky you know it, i felt like the questions i got were very skewed towards what i knew you know you, you could roll in there and run into some questions that just you never came into in clinic i probably had the advantage of doing a peds rotation not Ooh. everybody does that and you may end up with five or six pediatric questions and it's not something yeah. you really studied that could hit you pretty hard um, did not hit a lot of neural questions as far as, you know, spinal tracts and areas of the brain and those things, which I felt like were some of the tougher study areas. So I happen yeah. to not have any of that. I mean, it's all pretty ortho heavy. What is like 75% of the questions I think are ortho. Yeah. So that stuff. I've, re I've read that before too, on that note of like people leave and they feel like I had, I had more pediatrics than, than I was expecting, or I had more, more neural than I was expecting and stuff. Yeah, but they, they've said repeatedly that they it's it's broken now. Like the percentile doesn't change, you know. And mm -hmm. and there's definitely it goes back to your own again your internal biases and the way that you we maybe perseverate on the ones that we struggle with. So yeah. if I went in unprepared on peds, then it, it magnifies it, right? It goes mm -hmm. from even though it might have been six questions, it probably felt like eighteen of them. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably true. Like you said, yeah, I've always heard that they just break it down, so everybody gets the same percentage. I don't know if they lump some of them together or not. You know, like I said, I think it's like 75% ortho and the other 25%. I don't know if it's like always 5% acute, 5% peds, 5% neuro, um, wound care, or if they kind of lump some of them together, acute wound. But uh, so, so, so to summarize, you studied for a week? Correct. <laughs> Uh, I hope there's some students listening right now that are like, oh, sweet. That's all I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend it. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're a good studier, I, I think that's enough time. I, I see students now, 
And uh, we've made the mistake in the past of hiring people that haven't passed their boards yet. Um, especially my previous job, you're always looking for employees in rural. So you're willing to hire somebody. Um, in Minnesota, you could operate on a temporary license. So you know, you'd hire them, let them work for a month while they're practicing for their boards. And you know, I just saw these people get in their own head on studying for this thing. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. You make it bigger than it is. I don't believe in cramming per se, but I also don't believe in like studying for three months for a thing because I think you almost become passive at that point with it too. You know, you I'll do a few hours here and there, and you get the app on your phone. I see a lot of my students now. There's website apps or you know five questions a day or phone apps, you know, and it yeah. just asks you random things. I mean, those are cool. But again, if that's what you're basing your studying on, I think that's probably too passive, you know? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'd agree with you. You're not intentional with it. I don't know if it sticks. It's not a good way to learn um, mm -hmm. snippet learning. I think, again, you need to be intentional with your learning. If you don't set aside time to be like, this is my study time. Everything I soak in during this time is stuff that's going to have to stick, you know, I think that's a better way to do it versus going, ah, I'm just going to casually do questions every 15 minutes every day. I, just, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my preference. Everybody takes tests different. And that's, I guess, kind of the bum deal is some people just aren't good test takers at that testing yeah. center situation. Like if you're a test anxiety person, I think it's probably the yeah. worst testing situation you can possibly be in. Mm -hmm. Just a hard line limit on time. Uh, ladies watching you, guys watching you, whoever's around the place. I mean, you have somebody's eyes staring at you. I mean, it's on a camera, but you can, it's like anything you can feel. You can feel them watching you. You know, you you feel like you can't look left and right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You're like in a little cage. Mm -hmm. So yeah, some of that is just, yeah, preparing yourself mentally too for that kind of marathon test taking is I think people forget about that aspect of it too. I mean, I think you get one break in five hours, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, one or two, I think yeah. I'm going to take it too. Maybe it's two. Yeah. Yeah. God forbid you have to go to the bathroom. I mean, just to primarily to decompress if anything, you know, sometimes it just helps you restart a little bit. Get your focus back. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. I'm, I'm all about speed runs, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> how fast can i yeah. hammer this sucker out so uh, that was my experience with it um yeah fast I, I don't have huge pearls of wisdom it would just be pre-test i would take tons of pre-tests I, I think that helps more than anything you know probably mm -hmm. take multiples because taking one probably is an accurate representation of your strengths and weaknesses based on the questions you get but if you take two or three and you're then you're consistently weak in certain areas um, i brush up yeah gotta brush up and then i don't know unlike when we talked about the gre where i said study to your strengths i would say this one i would study to your weaknesses a little more just based on the wealth of questions that could be asked and yeah i think there's yeah. enough information out there where you can tighten up your weaknesses where i felt like the gre last episode if you weren't Great at English, I don't think you were going to magically become great at verbal stuff. Yeah, where yeah, this is much more honed in. Whereas the Jerry was so broad, like yeah. you can only do so much to really effectively change your Jerry score. I think yeah. that's my so this opinion. one. This one yeah. you could definitely 
studied your weaknesses Absolutely. and get better. Absolutely. And if you have a weak point, this is just my opinion, I'm maybe jumping ahead, but if you have some weak points and you know, who knows where life's going to take you, but you, number one, you've got to, your, your first priority is to get that license in hand so that you have that. You've invested so much of your recent college education on that. And in some cases, all seven years have been devoted to that. If that was your focus coming right out of high school. Um, so it's, it's, you, you just got to prioritize and focus on that first and foremost. But, you know, to people who are like, well, I'm, I'm never going to do geriatrics anyways. Well, who knows? Maybe life's, you, you never know if the job you're taking out of school, um, just, you know, if you stay there, I, I don't know the percentages of that. That'd be a great thing to see. I've, I've seen that PPS that like less than 20% of people ever stay with their first job, you know, um, cause life's going to take you in all these different directions. You're going to, maybe you meet somebody, you settle down and, and you got to follow them for a career too. I mean, and then you got to change it. So just got to be prepared and don't be so stubborn on, on what you, you know, I think the stubbornness comes from maybe just creating excuses too. Like, well, I'm not going to do this anyway. So why, why should I bother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know my first job when I interviewed again, it was rural health. And are you willing to go out to these small communities, do outpatient, are you willing to do the hospital stuff? And it was all, yep. Yep. I love that stuff. And they said, what about skilled nursing? And I said, if I'm going to be honest, that's the one area I have zero desire to work in. And I would prefer not to work in that setting, if I'm going to be honest. Well, fast forward 16 months in, our skilled nursing therapist quit. <laughs> they needed somebody. I needed hours. It was yeah. a, a marriage made perfect. And I actually ended up doing skilled nursing for four and a half years and I loved it. It was probably of my rural health, my favorite setting. So like I said, you never yeah. know. Don't you never know yourself. Yeah, it was, it yeah. fit me very well. Um, I don't do it now anymore, but I did enjoy it. It was, it was a blast. I mean, yeah. it, it, what I do now is more challenging. I enjoy that aspect of it. It, it did get the little, a little samey after time, but yeah. I said, I thought I'd hate it. Turned out I loved it. So, variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Well, my I look back on mine, and, and I could say my third year at USD, the curriculum was set up very well. Where the third year is almost entirely clinical rotations, and that allowed me um, by my by my final two. I remember my second to last one. I was in Carrington, uh, working up there turning and um, I did start cracking my book then um, because coming out coming out of winter break we did have a uh, prep uh, weekend course uh, brought on by score builders I think we I think that's who we brought in I'm sure of it now uh, not test masters no score builders okay Um, and and nice gentleman came in and and uh, came to Vermilion gave us a weekend course which I really felt was like Hey, you guys are, I give you a, a mock test and everybody bombs it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> here you go. You need our book. Right. Um, surprise, but we're like, ha jokes on you. We already all bought them. But um, coming out of there, I remember cracking all the score builders up, up in Carrington, and, but not getting too deep into it. It, was, it wasn't until my final one, again, um, just being things that are challenging at the time, but looking back at them as a blessing, uh, I was very far removed from my family. I was out in um, Rancho Mirage, California at the Eisenhower Medical Center doing this big urban acute uh, rotation. 
and I did four tens. So I'm away from my family and I have three days off every week uh, to fill time. So my Wednesdays, particularly being an off day, I spent those uh, with a focus on board prep and covering different regions and things like that. So I, I got a lot of that back, that backbone when I was out there. I, you know, by the time you're in that situation, you're pretty confident you're passing. Um, you're going to graduate from school. Um, you've done everything you need to do there. Um, so you just focus on learning about patient care, your clinical skills, and then, and then your boards. Um, I got back, and I had also invested in a Sullivan um, prep book. And uh, after, after graduating, I started cracking into that one. And to your point, started taking more prep tests. So I agree with you completely. I took nine total prep tests before I took my boards. Um, I did the three with Sullivan, uh, the four with score builders, and then the two Pete's. Uh, the two Pete's were the last ones that I took. And just because it's an exact you know, replication of the board exam. And funny story that that ninth and final one that I took, I laid that one was the most relaxed I did. Instead of trying to simulate the environment, I laid in my bed and took it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I pretty much aced it. And then you feel like you're in the mental state to just, um, you're in the mental state to go there and execute. So, uh, you know, like everybody else went to a pro metrics, uh, tested out in Sioux Falls. And uh, back when I was taking it, just like you, Casey, you could take it at any time. You could sign up. Um, you could apply and, and uh, jump through all those, all those little hoops and, and sit down and do it. So I, t- I want to say I took it in June. It's kind of like early, mid-June. And I was the first, uh, the first uh, student from my, my cohort at USD to, to take it. And this was really cool. And, I, and they only did this for like a little while. But the very next day, I remember, um, I got my results online which nowadays I think you have to wait a minimum of a week, but, um, and then for a while there was going even longer. It's kind of like a retroactive swing back to the past where people were, you know, people were hiring, were telling us that it was taking them two, three weeks to find the results. But, um, yeah, back in the day, I only had one night of one sleep and then got up the next day and, you know, kind of on a go figure, I'm like, Oh, I'll just sit down and log in and see. And it's like results are in. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, so I think every, I wouldn't have changed the thing that I did. Um, I looked back and it worked out very effectively. I was very happy with my score. Um, and, and I, I highly encourage the, you know, the test simulation. So the first eight that I did, I, you know, carved myself away, went to a library, um, whether it was in Sioux Falls or, or Marshall, um, kind of sat down in the most quiet area that I could and limited myself just like you Casey I I'm a fast test taker I, I think it's about two two and a half hours you know to get the exam for me and um if I'm if I'm dragging too long I'm probably doubting myself too much and um, mm-hmm. you know that, that doesn't that doesn't behoove me so um you know I, I'd recommend to uh you know doing that focus on the exi- like the prep exams work on your weaknesses just like you said but definitely, if you if you are a if you are somebody who's prone to studying and you're gonna you're really gonna you know invest the time, make sure you taper down as you approach the exam though, because you, there's there's a certain you know kind of bell shaped curve to how how valuable that 
is going to be for you before it becomes counter um, intuitive and counterproductive. So at the most I ever did, it was like two hour blocks, like a couple hours in the morning, have some lunch, go back to a couple hours later on. I wouldn't recommend trying to study more than two hours at any time. You're not going to retain it anyways. You, um, the human brain just doesn't have that capacity to uh, focus for that long unless you're, you know, a 1% of a 1%, you know, type of mind. So, uh, yeah, I think by and large prep as though you're going to take, take a test, you know, practice like you practice and, uh, prepare like you're like, and you gotta be confident with all that. Like I had classmates who definitely, um, they, they struggled with tests, but they also struggled with confidence. And I think those two things go hand in hand. Like if your mental state is, is that of like, Hey, I'm, it's going to take a miracle for me to pass this, or I don't even know why I'm here. And all these other people are so smart. Well, guess what? You got into school too, you know, and you met all the qualifications. And, and then from that point, it's up to you to retain it. Make sure that like the stuff you learn. One thing we talked about remember back in one of our episodes, a couple episodes ago, I think something's got to change when you get into grad school where in undergrad, your mind state can be, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is the, this is the means to an end. But when you get to graduate school, it's, you got to have a purpose driven focus with it. Like you, the stuff you're learning is stuff you're going to use in your career, you know, stuff that's going to matter to you as a therapist, you're always getting like anatomy is not going to change. Um, maybe regardless of what's going on in the world, I'm going to, I'm going to say that anatomy is not going to change by and large, your insertions, your, your origins, your insertions, your innervations, you know, your vascular supplies, things like that. Um, not going to change, you know, neuro neurology and, and that doesn't change interventions change, you know, but that's such a small portion of the exam as well. And I maybe maybe rightfully so now looking back, you know, we had that episode about how much our, our practices have changed since coming out of school. And, um, it's probably a good thing that interventions aren't on there because, shoot, you, you pull 10 therapists, you're going to have, you know, seven to eight different approaches to a pathology. Yeah, that's so true. I think people sometimes get caught up on the boards as being, yeah, can you be a good therapist? And I think everybody coming out of grad school has that capability. Uh, I think you just need to be aware that your university wants you to pass as much as you want to pass, <laughs> yeah. you know, so you're as prepared as you need to be when you graduate you know they don't really leave any gaps in your yeah. life so when you talk about confidence i think that's very true like be confident mm-hmm. you you've covered everything that's going to be on that board um you know the, the accrediting body capd make sure that the university is teaching what's on the boards you can't be an accredited university if you're not so you get you're going to have all the information somewhere locked in that brain you yeah. know so just about yeah, retaining it, unlocking it, making sure it's something that you attach to and you can gather. So I yeah. think that like I said, I, I wish there wasn't that anxiety now of if I don't pass this, I'm probably gonna lose a job if I have one set up because nobody's gonna sit around for four months while I prepare for my boards. Um well, I think I that's think a lot of undue stress. And I and I get that it's a byproduct of people putting the answers out there and they don't want to have to have 10,000 questions because it's too mm-hmm. hard that way, but it just thinks I, I think that's tough on them. See, and I, and I approach it a little different than that. And this is good that we don't agree on everything because I, I 
I'm all in favor of make, make commitments, you know, commit yourself, whether it's a job or just, just committing to passing the test. Um, but I don't think there, if you're the type of person who can handle some of that, I think it only makes us stronger. You know, it, it adds resiliency to people. Um, so I, I'm all in favor of whatever it takes. Like I, I knew I had, a, I had our, um, I was married and we'd had just had our oldest Connor was just a baby. And I like that added pressure that I've got a family I'm responsible for. Like, this is, this is on me to, to pass this thing now and take care of my family. And I can understand where some people don't, maybe some people crumble under that, but that's a whole other conversation we could have about maybe, uh, I don't know, is this, is the, the mental state of the world like the right thing right now, whether it's PT or anything else, are people just too fragile now? Yeah. Um, I sat on, one thing that spurred this idea on, remember how I said that I, I got this idea, maybe I shared this with you, um, but in December at our um, Briarcliff advisory board meeting, they talked about, um, you know, things that would help, help improve passing rating because I guess it, it slipped just a little bit. And, you know, some of it just comes to dedication and um, mental approach to it. Uh, I guess a lot, it's, fairly common. I don't know the numbers, but I guess it's fairly common now more and more for people to graduate, let's say they graduate in May, and then they want to take a little bit of time, right? Take time for themselves. You hear that a lot. I actually do hear that expression a lot. Um, sure, fine, but, you know, take, prioritize first. Like, you're, you know, you can always go on a vacation, whether you want to right now with COVID or whatever, but, but, take your exam first to your point. You just, you just come off, you come off hot on, you know, two years of didactic for sure. Um, wherever you're at, um, use that to your advantage, you know, come in, roll into that exam with a lot of confidence, take it, whether it's April or July, one of those blocks, don't push Mm -hmm. it to October, you know, don't keep prolonging it because that has an adverse um, effect on your uh, mental state and emotions uh, as well. You know, especially when you want pressure, maybe I'm talking about, maybe I'm looking at ass backwards because maybe that puts more pressure when they see all their colleagues have passed and they're out there working, um, you know, little, little pressure there too, but I wouldn't recommend putting it off at all. Um, if you're ready for it, if you're mentally ready for it, you're confident and you put it in, then just go do it, go execute. Yeah. If I'm going to be honest, I would recommend taking the April one <laughs> for, for yeah. most, most students, you know, if your university allows you to take it early, I would take it in April, uh, makes the job hunt a million times easier. Uh, I've said before, I just don't like hiring people that haven't passed their boards. Uh, it's a lot of stress on me. Um, yeah, so, yeah. and like, to your point, you're never going to be more ready probably than mid April anyways, most of the universities you're in your rotation. You got a little bit of time to study because you can put nose to the grindstone, use your weekends to study, just be done with it versus graduate, take a few weeks off, do the job hunt thing. You know, you just fall out of it. So that would be my recommendation is if your university allows it and you're ready, take it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely under this current system. Like, and I don't know when that changed. I don't recall. Maybe it's 2012 or 2013, but um, sometime around there is when this thing. I remember hiring hiring therapists, and that's when finding out like what you can't they can't take it till July. What? Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. Don't don't put it off though. 
I would agree with that. It's one thing we can agree on. All right. Love it. Uh, but yeah, we uh, best move on to our top five. Palette runs this thing up. Yeah, time for some fun. We'll go back. She has some, well, this whole thing's been fun. Who am I kidding? <laughs> um, we're going to stay with the football theme. So our top five, we're going to cinema, back to cinema, tying in football. So our top five are quarterback portrayals in football movies. So our criteria, you know, has to be a quarterback, has to be somebody playing, portraying a quarterback in a film, and um, there has to be a football scene in the movie. So prior to, you know, hitting record, as an example, you can't use Uncle Rico, even if he's got the greatest arm of all time and he can throw a football over the mountains. That guy, he's not going to make the list. He can't. He's disqualified. So, oh, okay. My number five may be controversial then. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to, I'll kick it off with a quick honorable mention and then I'll go to my number five. Um, my honorable mention is uh, Dennis Quaid in any given Sunday playing Cap Rooney, the old veteran gunslinger quarterback, tough as nails, but his back has just fallen apart. Um, yeah, great. But, but, uh, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but there's another quarterback on the horizon that's that's pushing him out the door. And uh, great movie. I honestly, I really, really enjoy that movie. It's not without its faults, but uh, it ages pretty well. Um, the only thing it's missing is obviously is, is the time Oliver Stone made it. He made it very, you know, hard R and he wasn't going to get NFL you know, official logo. So that's the one thing missing from that movie, but Quaid's portrayal is great. He looks the part. I mean, he looks like an old jock um, beat up and plays it really well. Um, so he's my honorable mention. Uh, my number five is uh, James Vanderbeek in varsity blues. Very enjoyable movie. Football scenes are, are uh, filmed very well, which can't be said for every movie that's uh, portrayed football. So, um, I like Jonathan Moxon, backup quarterback. It's thrusted into the limelight when Lance Harbor goes down with a knee injury. Uh, so uh, also portrayed by Paul Walker. Would have been an honorable mention as well if I could add more. Uh, but Vanderbeek shows up, got a great arm, got a great brain. He's going to an Ivy League school. Um, but just you know, stuck in the football town of Texas where that's all people care about. A little, little Friday night light. So can't wait to get to Brown I, University. Can't wait to get to Brown. That's my that's my number five is uh, James Vanderbeek for City Blues. Yeah, I struggled with this list. Uh, surprising, not as many quarterbacks. Really, the focus of football movies coming out. So I was a stretch. Uh, that's why my number five is a stretch. And I was surprised how many football movies like I didn't really attach to that much. Um, you know, we talk honorable mention, like I didn't, wasn't a longest yard guy, you know, I didn't, you know, things like draft day, those kind of movies. I just never attached to, um, you know, if you look at like Jerry Maguire, like I just felt like Jerry O'Connell's character wasn't like, he, has, anything. he doesn't actually play football in the movie either. Right. And there's a lot of movies like that. Um, and you can look at, you know, other movies where the quarterback's just a secondary role. It just never attached to me. Um, so my list was actually a pretty short list. It was mostly about 
finding five and then <laughs> putting them in an order of like, who would I want to be my quarterback? Who did I enjoy watching? Um, yeah. So my number five, very controversial, uh, Jimmy Dix from The Last Boy Scout. Damon Wayans movie. Damon Wayans, yep. Now you might say he doesn't play football in the movie, but I think if you remember near the end, he rolls in on a horse because they're stallions. (laughs) Yep. Dude gets a football from the sidelines and probably throws that thing about 300 yards into the stands to hit the center on the horse. On the horse, no leg. So to I stop say the assassination attempt, though. Correct. I mean, he's not just doing it to smoke the senator. No, I mean, he'd like to do that. But, I mean, if, if you imagine how a stadium's laid out, that senator was not sitting on the sidelines on the bench. Like, this dude That's rocked right. the football into the stands. Uh, <laughs> probably the greatest feat of athletic talent of any quarterback on my list to throw a ball that far, that accurate. Jimmy Dix. Jimmy Dix. Uh, his one-liners are probably better than any quarterback on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a little bit of a gambling problem, but who does Twice down the league. You yep. know, yeah, right. Yep. I mean, he's Michael Jordan's a great basketball player. Gambling problem, too. So, you know, greatness, right? So, my number yeah. five, Jimmy Dix. Questionable. But, again, try to throw a ball without from a horse. It's not easy. Yeah. So, okay, I'll let you in on that technicality because he does throw the football. <laughs> very well very um, well yeah good movie too underrated underrated old gem of like 30 years ago oh man i, I can watch that, that movie time it's gritty gritty yeah. r-rated bruce willis that is like he's he's totally playing john mcclain again really <laughs> yeah. yeah and then you put damon wayans in there that was prime damon wayans time yeah. i mean his comedic timing was pretty solid it, that was a good movie yeah they played off each other really well um, my number four goes back to any given Sunday. It's Jamie Foxx playing Steam and Willie Beeman, the young upstart quarterback. Um, what's so interesting is how ahead of its, its time this movie kind of was because he was such a mobile quarterback. And you go back to the, the late 90s, like this came out in 99. So Michael Vick hadn't even been in the league yet. I mean, he really set that that mold. So you're, you're maybe looking at Randall Cunningham as potentially a template, but not many guys could move around like he did. Um, and that's what, that's what sets it apart. Jamie, Jamie's pretty decent athlete shows it, you know, um, like that's where I was going by too. Did they look the part in the, in the film? Like, do they, do they really look like, uh, you know, they can, they could throw the ball decently. They got, you know, fairly okay mechanics. Uh, so, yeah, and he he checks those boxes. Good surrounding cast around him too. So uh, Willie Beeman, he cuts a music video right in the beginning or right in the middle of the movie when he's hitting his stride. Um, yeah, there we go. That's my number four. All right, my number four. Again, you talk about looking the part. That, that's maybe where this movie misses the line just a little bit, but it was meant to be little more of a funny movie so my number four paul blake from necessary roughness 1991 uh this was the replacements before the replacements was a thing right he the reason i picked him as a quarterback i would uh like to have on my team like dude was i think 35 in the movie you know just this older guy comes in really puts this team on his shoulder 
you know, obviously apprehensive, like every movie. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I still have it in me. You know, he's throwing the football at the dummy in the field. And, uh, yeah. but just that mentorship as a 35 year old in these college kids, although everybody in the movie was like 40 um, playing college yeah. kids. <laughs> um, you know, he believes in old stone hands, throws him the long ball. Uh, the fake field goal at the end rolls out. You know, this guy just doesn't have much left in the tank, but he still makes it happen. So, um, and uh, Scott Bakula, dude's cool. Just has a lot of charisma back then. Yeah. I was a quantum leap guy. So, like, yeah. uh, My fantasy football team is Bakula's Dracula's. I have a mock up of him from that movie as a vampire. So, it's a lot of things in my life attached to that. So, that's my number four. Not the best athlete, but necessary roughness that's a great yeah another great classic um mine goes back a little further now um and i'm gonna go with this is almost like a default but he has to just go in there Burt reynolds um in the original longest yard <clears throat> i mean Burt was people can forget i mean I, he's before my time but when you when you go back and know the history i mean he was a legit football player at florida state uh played running back though but I mean that background alone, he roomed with Lee Corso. I think that's kind of cool uh, in its own right. And and Bert just had swagger. I mean he was like the dude in the mid late seventies, and everything about him was just like you could see that playing out. And I don't know, I liked it. Like uh, was always a Burt Reynolds guy. <laughs> like I was chasing around going to every new movie opening he had or anything, but um, I was, you know, when you look back, there's certain guys that, that um, portray like the, the archetype of a man, like what a dude should be. And, and Bert's definitely up there for me. So um, the original longest yard, Bert Reynolds. Yeah. Bert didn't make three. my list. Uh, just like I said, Oh, kind of before my time, I never really got into it. Watched it a few times. Uh, but I will say this, I preferred his portrayal to Adam Sandler's portrayal. Um, yeah, yeah. I felt like the, like you said, the charisma Bert brought to that role is just phenomenal. Um, and he looked the part, yeah. but the movie just didn't, it was, I don't know, didn't sit with me. Kind of a weird movie, but. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a weird, ca- I mean, it's just the, it's a weird concept for a film. I wish, I wish they could have had a different backdrop for it to showcase it, but. You know, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, and being an older movie, you know, the plot was a little rushed, um, which is some good, some bad, right? The Adam Sandler movie probably went the opposite way, where it was like, ugh, this is kind yeah. of boring. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, I guess I think the biggest, a, the biggest weakness with the Sandler ones that it's like so many of his, what are they, it's almost it's like true. self-gratifying. Like, yeah, this is true. And, and then he goes out, to his credit, though, he goes out and brings in like, you know, 20 different guys from all different walks of sports life, wrestling. And yeah. She just plugs them into the movie to make it fun. Mm. Um, so I, I definitely say that the remake's more fun. Uh, yeah. Oh, I would agree. That's what you're going for, you know, but you're right. I mean, Adam Sandler is, <laughs> I don't know. I don't need to go on about that. Yeah. What's your number three? <laughs> My number three. <laughs> uh, I go at number three with Willie Beeman as well. Um, uh, echo your four right um mm-hmm. yeah he he looked the part looked very athletic like you said that was um not as much template of that running quarterback with a giant arm like you said mike vick comes in later 
kind of fills that mm-hmm. real life role. Yeah. Um, yeah. His maturity, you know, it's funny to see him grow, become a jerk, fall back down to earth. Uh, interesting part, you know, is the end of the movie, he's already starting to have arm problems. He's falling apart. I think that was always the narrative at that time was you can't play football like that. You know, you can't throw huge like that. You can't run like that. You're just going to wear your body out. You know, the West Coast offense was the way that was the future. That's how you should play ball. So it was interesting to take that. I mean, there's there's a little bit of race in that movie. You know, that there's a mm-hmm. little bit of undertone of that. Uh, I don't think anybody would deny that. Mm-hmm. But then it also, in a way, goes after the race and goes, see, you can't do it. This is it's just not going to work. So. Um, it was interesting. It was a good movie just to show that growth and change. I, sometimes it was overdone, right? Oliver Stone, I think, went to make this yeah. beautifully like choreographed, totally sensationalized. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when he drops back, like I felt like it created a cool sense of like motion in the game and how for a quarterback, like if you're totally out of your league, it's just there's no time back there. You know, uh, it's the uh, I'm seeing ghosts out there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then it was weird because he interspersed like clips of the past and like Martin Luther King and all this other stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's going through your mind when you're talking yeah. back. Uh, <laughs> the history <laughs> of the game. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, people leap I'm over still gonna, and stuff. So, As far as football films go, I got that. It's one of my – well, there, again, there's not that many. I mean, there's – there, it's you'd think there would be tons of films on uh, football, many quarterbacks, but there's just not mm-hmm. when you really when you really research it down. But I got any given Sunday is definitely a top three football film, pure football film for me. I think Al Pacino is it's like one of his last great roles in my opinion, mm-hmm. where he's just nailing it on every cylinder. That final speech he gives the team too. Oh, game of inches still gives man. yeah, it gives me goosebumps. But you're right. This like I remember watching. I, I went to that in the movie theater. I was so excited to see it come out and a big foot, you know, at the time I was, you know, like 18. So, you know, prime of my football playing life. And, but yeah, there's a lot of, uh, dr- uh the dramas ratchet up, but the cast is amazing. The cast is really, really phenomenal. Um, all these different, especially you can go back and watch it again, like mm-hmm. people who went on to do other things and, and, uh, contributed and that, that relationship too, between, um, that friction that he has with LL Cool J too. Yeah, I mean, playing the running back, the star running back, who's kind of pushed aside too. I mean, there's a lot of that little drama that that's being played out in that film. He yeah. shoves, he does, he shoehorns about everything he possibly can into that team, and every yeah. um, piece of adversity they can they can try to overcome. And there's even that you talk about sensational, but there's like a isn't there a scene that the dude's eyeball gets ripped out? Yeah, the game? right. They put it in a ziploc bag. They get that. I don't ice. think that's ever actually happened, but you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I made platoon though. Yeah. (laughs) All right. What do you got at number two? Number two, um, Keanu Reeves playing Shane Falco in the replacements. Um, He moved up quite a bit. Uh, We dusted off the replacements last night. I know I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, my family and I are kind of coming out of a little COVID quarantine. So, Last night we did a little family movie and watched the replacements. I wanted to brush up on this and I moved him from about number five, number two, uh, good leadership skills. Um, Keanu just like, he's, he's, yeah. What more can you say about it? I mean, he's had this career resurgence now for like the fifth time. <laughs> um, but he put, he, it's perfect 
for him because he's like playing a washed up quarterback at the time. And um, he's really not, it's like the most non-conventional role for him, I think. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, where he's not just flat affect most of it or reacting to stuff, but he's actually like contributing and moving the, moving the dialogue forward and stuff. Um, and he's a lefty. I noticed that last night. He's, he's slinging that with some heat. Going, uh, <laughs> it's always a, always a tough way to, to game plan for. So um, Keanu Reeves is Shane Falco in the replacements number two. Yeah, just a charismatic guy for sure. My number two, uh, Joe Kane, 1993, The Program. Man, that movie, we watched that movie like every Thursday night before a football game. I don't know. It was just the coolest movie. It, it was R-rated at the time. You know, these guys were just over-the-top college players. But, they, you know, they actually used real college teams. Uh, so that was kind of cool. You know, play except, for e, except for ESU. Yes. Which, which, I which is famously imagine. FSU. <laughs> Any college would have allowed them to use their yeah. name. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just – Dude was a leader. His team looked up to him. He had his problems, which I think makes him more relatable. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. it wasn't the classic, uh, uh, you know, I'm overcoming some sort of adversity. Like he created his own adversity, self-sabotaging behavior, which was kind of interesting, you know, to see somebody given everything mm-hmm. coming from nothing to have everything and to throw it away to be nothing again, potentially, you know, he was yeah. going down the path of being his dad pretty quick. Um, and that's a story you hear a ton. So it was just a cool movie. I mean, you know, put the women and children to bed, go looking for dinner. Um, again, they did the first person cam when, you know, mm-hmm. him and Darnell would have the ball. Yeah. That was cool. Like, you know, the pointing, you know, get that yeah. guy, you know, we'd always simulate that in football practice. We thought that was so <laughs> cool. Um, you know, the last play of the game in that movie, just sweet, you know, Georgia tech forced out of the pocket three or four guys try to tackle him. You know, he pulls the ball down, it fumbles, you know, he runs yeah. after it, picks yep. it up. Yep. Jefferson does a sweet spin move, you know, nails it in the end zone. Uh, yeah. Kane is able man at number two. Kane is able. That's my number one, bro. Oh, okay. Craig, Craig Sheffer playing, playing Tim Kane. Um, and uh, the program, you're right. And they really captured especially at the time i mean it's kind of dated it's what 93 93 but they captured like that i mean the game day environment um that espn they had they actually got espn to uh you know uh join or be part of the movie i guess chris berman you know he's talking about his adversary (laughs) tim wayman yeah he could go all the wayman Wayman. yeah just i mean it's like you could see berman actually doing that it's very realistic in a lot of ways um I, should, I could go on about that movie and all the other characters, you know, oh, yeah. um, Alvin Mack. I mean, we used to quote Alvin Mack when we played defense all the time. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Can't, yeah. Can't do that around my kids. No. Um, yeah. That's not one you're going to watch on family movie night yeah. for a while. Yeah. Joe Kane though. I mean, it's just the, that's what you, I think when I was growing up that, that came out, you know, I'm getting into high school and you're thinking like, this is what a quarterback should look like and act like and be like, you know, and, mm. He played the part like super well, but you're right. He had a little nice. Um, you got to overcome something. Like it's just boring to have to watch it. You never want to watch a movie about a person who's just had every gift handed to them and, and every ability in the world. Nothing's hard for them. 
So um, the alcoholism background, I, I like that. I felt it was a, you know, a good, it, you know, it sensationalizes it a little bit. Um, they cram in a lot of stuff. Like you mm. wonder now, like, would he really go to treatment and then come back at the same season? You know, there's obviously that's pretty rushed, but you know, they're doing what they can. They fit it in. Um, and yeah, he, you're right. He leads the team. Everybody looks up to him. The coach respects him, you know, James, Jamie Kahn mm-hmm. is playing the coach. And, and yeah, as I touched on, it, you're right. They got like the Wolverines, like Michigan's in there, Georgia Tech, I think Boston College, Iowa. Um, Iowa's where Alvin Mack gets injured. Um, but famously, the whole thing is like a portrayal of like Florida State. That's the program they're trying to portray. And even the uniforms look at. Yeah. But Florida State was obviously not going to sign off on any of this <laughs> stuff. And, and uh, so then so there's just ESU there. It's Eastern State University. Yeah, I'm sure Florida State didn't like that. Yeah, you don't get the 80,000 people to watch a chess match. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Athletics and all. My, my, only, my only frustration is, like, what happened to Craig Sheffer after that? I mean, the dude, should, I mean, what a platform. He should have went on to do great things. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's my number one program. All right. My number one, I believe it was your number five, Jonathan Moxon, 99, Varsity Blues. Okay. Um, just hit me at the right time. You know, I'm playing high school football. These kids are playing high school football. Um, no quarterback ever just, you know, and it was uh, that we had been watching the program for years, even though it was R rated and we were like 14. Yeah. Um, it was, <laughs> yeah. We could rent it from the video store. So they'd rent it to us. Um, this was the the next movie that like just hit that chord of, man, it got you pumped up. Um, you know, the practice scenes early on the first game, uh, I think it's ACDC they're playing when they're just all fired up yeah. and flying around the football. Um, you know, again, he was a smart kid. He came in good arm. But, you know, again, intangibles. I mean, he put his team first, right? Like, we got to get the running back in the end zone. You know, he's been running down the field the whole time. Coach doesn't give him the ball. Let's change the change the yeah. play on the field. I mean, Bud Kilmer was super intimidating. I get intimidated watching that movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he stands <laughs> up to him. Like, yeah. I still get chills when I see, like, him yelling at him. I'm like, oh, man. That's a, that's intense. Like, but that's how high school coaches were sometimes, uh, you yeah. know, do what I tell you, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're right. I mean, he, and uh, what's his name? Why am I like John Voigt? John Voigt playing the coach Kilmer. And, yeah. He's well, probably he, he, the most intimidating head coach in a football movie. I mean, maybe. Yeah. He really runs some guys through in that one. You know, and they're practicing and he grabs him by the face mask and pulls him around. I mean, I remember our coach kind of doing that stuff, you know, just to get yeah. your attention. Right. And nowadays yeah. you can't even slap a player on the helmet. You know, Bruce Arians gets yelled at for hitting an NFL player on the helmet, you know. Yeah. Like, it's a different world right now. Uh, Billy Bob cry, baby. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that whole Billy man. Bob's dying on the bench. Get back in there for one play, you know. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of quarterback going down. I mean, yeah, it's one of my star quarterbacks dragging his leg. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's tough, man. I was more of a Lance Harbor guy. I think he had more <laughs> skill. I was heartbroken when he goes down. Yeah. <laughs> the movie just started out terrible from you from the beginning. Huh? Wow, yeah, yeah, I, I walked out halfway through. I don't even know how it ended. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you should watch it again. Oh, it's uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's my number one. 
Oh, I love that. I really enjoyed it. I remember going off to going off to college and, and I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a movie. You're right. It's aimed for teenagers and soundtrack was great. Anytime they can license all that, you know, that music, they, I think the final game plays my hero, my fighters. And, mm-hmm. um, it's just rocking. And he had, you know, it's a good fun. It's just a fun movie. I mean, there's some themes in there that are a little deeper and mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they touch just like so many of these other things we talked about, you know, get the Sunday track shoehorn a lot of ideas into a football film, but you know, they tackle, they tackle like culture, race, you know, socioeconomics, um, the way that sports can lift people up, you know, mm-hmm. I think that can be forgotten about. And that's, that should be true. I mean, the leadership skills it, it instills in people, I think there's, is inherently good um, at, its, at its core. Um, obviously it can be bastardized, but um, sports yeah, are inherently great a good power thing. comes great responsibility in small town oh, football. So true. And, you know, they say like, that was, wasn't that, I want to say a little history on that. I think they were trying to portray kind of Friday night lights before Friday night light. Like the book had already been out for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think there might've been even maybe, maybe some type of copyright type of, you know, talk going on there, whether there's lawsuit or not, but before the actual film and then later on the TV show came out. So um, trying to just portray Texas high school football, Mm -hmm. which to, to the rest of all of us, you know, outside of there, you're, you know, um, it was maybe the first look at it, how serious people took it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It was a lot different than Maddox high school football. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> even, you know, but even, even in Carrington, I mean, on a, on a Friday night in the fall, football's pretty, or was pretty popular. You know, it's a small town and not much else to do. Then go and see how, see how the team's doing. But, oh yeah. Uh, I remember in the playoffs headed up to AMO, you know, it's about, hour and a half away. I mean, every business in Maddox shut down two oh. o'clock, you know, grocery stores, post office, bars. I mean, they closed up the doors because everybody went to the game. So there's some truth to that. And and I would say probably the football players got preferential treatment during football season. I mean, so there is some truth to that. But Yeah, you didn't have a teacher that was stripping on the side, though? <laughs> no. Uh, I, we had some questionable teachers. That's probably yeah. stories for the after-hour podcast. Hey, yeah. Uh, yeah, Twitter. Would... Uh, what a role by Scott Con too. I referenced <laughs> Jimmy Con earlier, yeah. but Scott Con coming into his own. I mean, that was the role that was kind of fun. I mean, when me and my buddy, he was the guy you were quoting when the movie was done, and um, oh, yeah, yeah, the guy who's you know hooking up with the chicks and driving off, just partying the whole time, not taking it serious. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot to like about that character, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, the movie just starts out good mooning, boys, right? Like, you knew you were in for, yeah. a, you, you knew you were in for a fun movie, start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, good. Man, any closing remarks on this episode? Nope. Nope. Uh, I think it was a good conversation. I like the list. Not as much overlap as I thought. I thought it would just be the same five quarterbacks. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Casey, until we meet again, um, I'll let you sign us off, my man. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Get a little better every day, folks. Take care. Peace.